Amen. Isn't that an amazing promise that God has made to us? That nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Is Christ Jesus your Lord this morning? Have you truly given your heart to where he moves in and he's cleansed you of your sins and forgiven you from all the junk? And you know what? We all have a trunk of junk. And the enemy wants to keep you chained to it. God wants to set you free from that. And there's a way in which you can call upon his name. It's by faith. And he promises that he will come and he will deliver those places of forgiveness and cleansing and do what only he can. I promise it's all the things that you've been seeking and searching and trying to find yourself that God wants to provide for you. And you've been hitting a dead end in every place, every time, everything you've done. It's just dead end after dead end after dead end. And what's going on? Why is it that I just keep failing in these places and in these things? Why is it that I can't seem to get what everyone else seems to have? And the, and the problem is you try to get it in yourself when the truth is it's not about you, it's about him. It's not about what you do, it's about what he has done. And we receive by faith that Jesus Christ truly is God. Amen? Amen. And he has a word for you today. He has something that he wants to say to you today. Do you, how many of you believe that? Amen. Praise God. Well, God has a word for you, and he has something that he wants to speak into your heart. He has something that he wants you to receive. The question is, will you set yourself into a place where you will open your ears to hear, open your heart to receive what the Spirit of the Lord wants to say to you? God's able to speak, and I, I say this a lot, and, I, and, and praise God for this. If he can speak through a donkey, he can speak through me. So it really takes a lot of pressure off. I shared with first service, man, it's, it's hard because, you know, every week you want to come up with this just amazing sermon, and I'm not that amazing, but God is. God is. God's able to take my mediocrity and to make it excellence in your ears. Come on, amen. And so it takes that pressure off. It really is about what you have to receive today. It's about what God has for, brought you here for. You think you're here because you chose to come. God led you here for a reason. He led you here for something that he has that he wants to impart to you. Will you open yourself up to receive that? Or have you already made the decision in your mind that this is just a religious opportunity to go and to click my time card so I can remove the guilt because I need to go to church and leave those doors the same way you came in? That choice is up to you. God can speak through a donkey. He can speak to you. So we are going to continue in this study that we've been going through for the past few years in the Gospel of Luke. Luke is an investigative reporter hired by Theophilus to go out and to find out, is Jesus Christ truly God? Is he really the God-man? Is he Emmanuel? 
And Luke has gone into this extensive study to find out the truth about Jesus, the truth about what he has. And Luke, is a, he's an incredibly intelligent man. He's a physician. He's a doctor. And he, again, he wasn't a believer at the time. Theophilus, the Greek, hired a, Luke, a Greek, to go and to find out what this was. What is this about Jesus? And so we're, we're looking today at Luke chapter 7, looking into verses 18 through 27. If you want to go to your notes, there's notes inside the church app. You just click media on the bottom, go to sermon notes, and there will be today's sermon notes, and you can follow along, fill in the blank, and uh, again, take uh, those questions that you have and take them to life group with you, and your life group leaders will have to deal with it. I want to look at these because what we're talking about today and we're going to spend some time on in the next few weeks is this study where Luke has taken us through the story, Jesus is taking us through this time, where we begin to look at a man named John the Baptist. John the Baptist, you know, we're going to look at his life and honestly, as we examine his life, it gives us the opportunity to learn from his life, but it also gives us the opportunity as we look vicariously into his life, what we can learn about our life. What can we learn from this guy, from this man? And I think it's really important for us to do that. If you were here early on as we were going through the study, we talked in, in Luke, we, we talked about John. We talked about him in the beginning. So we, we know a little bit about him, and I'm not going to go back through too much, but I want to give some groundwork because this family, this guy, John the Baptist and his parents are, are it's an extraordinary family. This is an amazing family. His dad is, his name is Zechariah. Zechariah was a priest. Zechariah basically was the pastor of a small congregation of people in this small little town. They were living in a town that probably had a hundred or less people in it. He had a, a, a church gathering that probably 20 or less people in it. Just a small little town, a small group of people that were coming together. This guy probably was working a couple of jobs, trying to make ends meet, trying to put food on the table, trying to just to live and do what God was calling him to do. This was a very simple, a very ministry-minded family. The family probably, because most people in these little towns were, the family was probably poor. They were ministering to people that were poor. They were ministering to people that were mostly illiterate. Most people couldn't read in these little towns. And so this was the, the setting in which Zechariah was was looking to God for some specific answers in. His wife, or John's mom, her name is Elizabeth. Elizabeth was a, was a tremendous woman. She was a devoted woman. She loved the Lord her God, and she loved the Lord with all her heart. And this family is just a simple, hardworking, ministry-minded couple devoted to God, living in this just rural area. They loved God, they loved each other, and they loved the people that God had called them to serve in ministry. But what they really, really wanted was a baby. They wanted a child. And man, they just wanted to extend their love into the next generation. They just wanted to pass down some things that God had given to them, imparted to them. And they were crying out to God, Lord God, please give us a baby. Give us a child. I just want, Elizabeth said, I just wouldn't want to be pregnant. And, and Zechariah said, I want a son. I just want a baby. We just want to have a child. And so they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed. And for many years, God didn't answer their prayer. For a long time, God did not answer their prayers. But you know what they did not do? 
They did not do what Sarah and Abraham did. They did not do what a lot of us do. Well, God's not answering, so I better take things into my own hands. God's not doing what we're asking him to do, so I better try to figure out a way that I can get what I want. And that's what Abraham and Sarah did. And they went out, and what did they do? They sinned against God. Let let me fulfill the promise of God by sinning. But how many of us take things into our own hands and sometimes even set out and we'll do things that it makes no sense. It's not biblically truth that we're standing on and we're doing these things because we want to see the promises of God in our life. Well, Abraham and Sarah, what they did was they stepped out, they committed adultery, they had a child that was born uh, in an unwed situation outside of the covenant, and we can read very simply all of the chaos that came because they took matters into their own hands. How many of you could testify? How many of us, because I'm a part of that too, how many of us could testify to the chaos that comes into our life because we take matters into our own hands trying to fix what God didn't do. Well, this couple instead, what did they do? This this couple, instead of taking matters into their own hands, they just kept loving God. They kept loving one another. They just kept loving the people that God had called them to serve. And they kept this matter in prayer. They just continued to pray. They continued to trust God. They just continued in trusting God to follow him, to do what God had called him to do, and and praying and asking God for the gift of a child. And even though they were later in life, they they finally, the, the prayer is answered. They're now... Think about this. They're now in their 50s, probably. It's like, 50s? Having a child? It's like, God, come on. Couldn't you have done that back in my 30s? Why now that I'm 50 years old? I mean, I, when, when, we got, when we had Joshua and, and Carly, we were 40 and 42. That was rough. I mean, we didn't have much energy for that. <laughs> so here they are, though, this couple now, they're probably, you know, in, in their 50s somewhere, and God finally answers their prayers. Zechariah, he's ministering, he's lighting incense in the, in the temple, um, and, as was his priestly duty at that time, and he's there, and the angel comes and talks to him, and he says, hey, you know, you're going to, I'm going to answer that, that, Jesus wants you to know you're going to have that prayer answered, and you're going to have a baby. And he's like, What? And you all know the story. His mouth was shut and he wasn't allowed to bring any more doubt and unbelief into that situation (laughs) because God had a purpose in that. God was answering their prayers. And right after that, Elizabeth, lo and behold, wow, isn't this amazing? God says it and it happened. She gets pregnant and she's pregnant with a, a, a boy that they're supposed to name John. Well, at the same time, just maybe weeks, maybe months later, a relative of Elizabeth's gets pregnant also. Her name is Mary. Mary, she's a virgin that gets pregnant. 
There should be some oohs and ahs with that. I know you're used to the story, but she's a virgin that got pregnant. It never happened before. It's never happened since. It's the only time in all of history that it's ever happened. And Mary, this teenage girl, she's a virgin, and she gets pregnant with this baby by the power of the Holy Spirit. He comes upon her, and she becomes pregnant. And now Elizabeth and Mary are both pregnant at the same time, one boy named John and one boy named Jesus. Both boys were born. I'm sure they, they, were, they were cousins, and I'm sure that they had some time together, time playing together, you know, time hanging out. Can you imagine what it was like to like, just hang out with God like that? I mean, what was it like for John hanging out with this, you know, virgin-born cousin? I was thinking about it earlier in first service. I thought, wow, you know how cool. I wonder what it was like to play hide-and-seek with Jesus. You know? I mean, think about it. There's precedence. Adam and Eve tried. Right? I mean, well, let's face it. Most of us have tried. I don't know. Just a thought. So they grow up, they get older, and John steps into his public ministry first. John starts to preach. And John was a mighty preacher. He was an incredible preacher. Think about what this might have been like at this time. There had been 400 years of silence from God. 400 years without a prophetic voice. 400 years without a preacher. 400 years without God sharing or saying anything to his people. 400 years. Our nation is about is 250 or so years old. We're talking 400 years without a word, without anything that's come. And now here comes John. It's like, God, why did you pick John as the first voice after 400 years? John? Here comes John, he comes out preaching out of the wilderness. You know, John was really, I mean, he's, here comes Jesus' eccentric cousin, this homeschool kid. They were all homeschooled at that time. Ha ha, see? This kid, though, wasn't like everybody else. He was... He was weird. I mean, he was unique. I'll put it that way. Okay? He was. He was just something eccentric about him. Think about it. He lived out in the wilderness. He lived out in the woods. And, and, he, and it happens to be that, that he comes out of the woods and he starts preaching. This guy is wearing camel hair. He's eating bugs and honey. And he's yelling at people. I mean... Wow, God, you're really, that's the voice that you have coming, right? This was a peculiar guy. An amazing guy, but this was a peculiar guy. He comes larger than life, this eccentric personality. And, and he had to have been because he starts his preaching and he starts teaching and he's out there in the wilderness. And, and you know, what happens? People start coming. I mean, that would be like us going, okay, you know what? Um, we're going to set up a church, and we're going to do it out in, let's, let's pick a spot way out in the uh, middle of Dugway. 
So, you know, it's, you guys are going to have about an hour and a half drive to get there. Well, that'll cut down the congregation. But these people were like coming to John. They were flocking to John. And all these people were coming out to see him. They were coming out to hear what, he was, what God was saying through him. These multitudes wanted to hear him preach. They wanted to hear him teach. They wanted to come out. And the people were coming and they were coming to this place in the wilderness where they were repenting of their sins. They were listening to him. And they were repenting of their sins and realizing the forgiveness that were coming after that place of repentance. And these people were being baptized. Hundreds or thousands of people. And ultimately, Jesus shows up. And Jesus shows up to be baptized by John. And as he does, the heavens open up. A dove comes down. The Holy Spirit rests on him. And God from heaven speaks. And John's there watching all this. The people there, I, I just, it must have been quite a sin. So the, I wanted to set this up this way to begin the rest of the sermon with this preface of a question to you. If I was to ask you, who is, I mean, again, your first response, not even, don't even take time to really think about it, your first response, who is the greatest person that has ever lived? I mean besides Jesus. Don't yell out because I'm sure that the first thing that comes to mind is all kinds of stuff. I mean, you know, what, what do you think? I mean, I'm sure if we took a poll, there would be different names from all sorts of different things. I, I imagine that, yeah, that, <laughs> that you would, you know, maybe Billy Graham, Mother Teresa, Martin Luther King Jr., Moses. Oh, wait a minute. He killed somebody. Okay, erase his name. Put Donald Trump in there. <laughs> hey, that could have happened for equal time. What about Joe Biden? No? Yes? I don't know. I mean, just to give an equal time there. Who is the, most, the, the greatest person that's ever lived in the history of the world? Who would Jesus say? Other than himself, the greatest person to ever live, Jesus makes this extraordinary statement about John, the greatest man in the world. The greatest man. Jesus says it's John the Baptist. And we'll go all the way into all of this, but um, this is what he says in verse 28, the first part of that verse. He says, I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Now again, we'll, we'll keep it all in context and we'll study the whole, whole verse and what that all means. But Jesus means what he says here. Among those born of women, none is greater than John. Of all the people born into the whole world and the history of the world, other than myself, because I'm God, there's no man or woman that's equal to John. That is an amazing statement. That is a statement that we should go, wow, that is incredible. When God tells us who the greatest man in all of history is, I think that it should be something that we really stop and take notice of. I mean, this kind of honor that Jesus would place on John, I think we should examine his life. I think we should take a look at this guy and see what we can learn from him. Why else do you think that Jesus made this statement? He wants us to learn from this guy. 
And the first thing that we learn, the first thing that we'll see in all of this that we're going to look at as we examine and study through this scripture is that John does not fit the criteria for greatness that you and I and that we as human beings place on greatness. He doesn't fit the criteria. I mean, when we think of greatness, we don't think of John. And oftentimes it's because of how we look at that. It's how we look at greatness. You know, in that day, there was a man in all of this. Uh, the, his name was Herod. Remember him? Remember what he was called? Herod the Great. Herod the Great. I, I mean, everyone thought Herod was great, or at least they said it anyway. Um, Herod certainly thought he was great. Jesus says, no, John is greater than Herod. Well, how can that be? John's a plain, ordinary, just a preacher. Well, Herod's a king. John is poor. Herod is just filthy rich. John lives out in the wilderness. Herod lives in a palace. John's got camel hair on. He's got the finest that the king could have. John is just a simple man. Herod's complex, he's got authority, he's got power, he's well-educated. How could Jesus look into this time and look at John and say, in light of all of that, that John is the greatest of anyone that's ever lived, including Herod the Great? Again, church, I think what happens, and we have to look at that, is how we define greatness. Have you ever thought about that? How do we, how do you as human beings, how do we define greatness? You know, most of it flows from selfish motive because we are intrinsically, we are born as selfish human beings. And we see ourselves as individuals. Even again, one of the, it's one of the greatest, biggest problems in marriages. People see themselves as individuals when Jesus says you're not. The two have become one flesh. You're not an individual in that way any longer. The two have become one flesh. That's what he says. And, but we look at greatness and, and we define that by looking at things because by seeing ourselves as an individual and we see ourselves as an individual and when we do that, our primary allegiance then becomes to ourself. We are self-serving. We are, I mean, we... we We'll protect ourselves. We think about ourselves. You know, we're born selfish, and throughout life, if we don't see some of this change by the power of God, we just become more and more selfish. Amen. And we become, we get filled with these grand visions about what our life is going to look like. And we have all these wonderful visions of what we should be. I want to do this, and I'm going to be that, and I'm going to obtain this, and we're going to do that. I want to achieve this, and I want to accomplish that. And then what do we do? We set out, we devote our life to fulfilling that vision by seeing how much can I accomplish. And we look at, at how we did at accomplishing what we set as a vision for our own life, and we determine greatness by how much of that we decided needed to happen is accomplished in us. And if I accomplished a lot, that's great. If I accomplished more, that's the greatest. And we judge greatness based on how we fulfilled our selfish motives, our selfish vision. 
but we see something completely different in John. John John didn't see himself as an individual. John saw himself as part of a family. He saw himself as part of a ministry family, a legacy of faithfulness, a legacy that would be passed down from his mother and father and from his grandparents and probably generations that he was a part of, a family that was ministering from generation to generation. John, he saw himself as a part of the people of God. He was a part of the Old Testament church. He was a part of that old covenant. And he was wasn't standing alone. He was standing with a group of people that were like-minded, headed in the same direction, waiting for, longing for, looking for the Messiah. He was part of a bigger family than just himself. He was part of a spiritual community. It wasn't about what what the spiritual community could do for him. It was about what was God calling him to do for the spiritual community. I'm just going to wait for an amen there because that statement, that was, yeah, I didn't. Anyway, it's just so true. You know what John didn't have? John, what John had was his vision or didn't have was his vision for his life. John had God's vision for his life, meaning that John was answering a call. John was answering the call of God on his life. John wasn't becoming becoming what he decided greatness would look like. John was simply doing what God called him to do. John doesn't evaluate his own life. John wasn't the decider on whether his life was great or not. John wasn't the one who made that decision. John, you never hear John declare, well, I am the greatest, you know. John wasn't the one who decided that. John simply let Jesus be the determiner as to whether his life was great or not. He let Jesus declare. Look, church, true greatness in the eyes of God comes from simply this. Simply serving God and serving the people of God. It's just that simple place of obeying what God has called you to do. It's obeying God's calling on your life. It's obeying what God is speaking to you, allowing Jesus to decide whether your life is great or not. Not to overstep what Jesus is calling you to do so that you can do what you think is going to be great. It's allowing our life of faithfulness to be determined by Jesus where we would hear from him, well done, my good and faithful servant. There is a place for greatness because Jesus said in the second half of that verse that, he, that the least in the kingdom will be greater even than he. So there's this opportunity for that, for us to walk in greatness, but it's only in his eyes, Jesus' eyes, not by our own doing. Think about this. John's, John's life, in likelihood, it probably didn't look very great to people that were in that day and in that age. He probably didn't look like he had a very great life. Poor guy didn't have a house. He didn't have a, a, a bed. He didn't have a, a place. He was out in the wilderness. He he didn't even have what we would think is a a, a meal that's worth eating. But Jesus said of all the children ever born to men that other than Jesus, John was the greatest of them all. Well, why? How? What was it that made him so great? What did Jesus see in John's life that Jesus would make such a statement about him? And again, I think it's important for us to look at. And with that in mind, I want to read through these scriptures here. 
in, uh, in, in Luke chapter 7, in the, the preceding verses that lead to what Jesus said in verse 28 that I read to you earlier. And let's look at what does Jesus say about the greatness of John in this. Verse 18, the disciples of John reported all these things to him. So the disciples of John were coming to John to report to John what Jesus had been doing. And John calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord. He sends them to Jesus saying, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they had come to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you saying, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? In that hour, so meaning right at, at that time, Jesus, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered them. Jesus says to them, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. Go and tell John what you, what you can testify to here. And he said this, the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the good news preached to them. He said, he's saying, go, go tell John, that you saw me doing the things that only God can do. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? When did you go out to, or, or what did you then go to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. So I, I see in there some things that Jesus is wanting us to see, that God is wanting us to see as insight that we can gain from John's life. Why was John great? And, and the first and the one thing I want to talk about, we're going to talk about this over the next few weeks, so um, uh, bear with me here because I think it's worth pressing into. But what I want to focus in on and, and, and finish as a point for today is this. John was great because he sought answers to the questions that he had about Jesus. He had questions about Jesus. And I believe that a large part of his greatness came from the fact that he, he was asking questions or look, looking for answers to the questions that he had about Jesus. Listen to what it says in the first few verses. In verse 18, the disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord saying, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you, saying, are you the one who's to come, or shall we look for another? Now again, just put yourself into the situation that John is in right here. His parents are devoted, devoted, devout religious people. They loved God. They were serving God. They were seeking after God. They grew, John grew up in a family that was surrounded with scripture. He, they knew where the scriptures were. They knew how to read the scriptures. They knew how to open them up. And I'm sure they had shared all of those scriptures with John. He knew the Bible growing up. They had taught him the Old Testament scriptures. John knew the prophecies that Isaiah had made about the Messiah. He knew what God had said would be bring forth the, 
Messiah that would bring salvation. He knew those things. And, and in his time of growing up, John, he, he was taught to pray. He learned how to pray. He learned how to, how to trust God. He learned how to walk with God. He learned how to serve God from a very young age. He's part of this ministry family that was ministry-minded. And, and from that comes this mighty preacher. Out of that comes John. He grows up and he becomes this mighty preacher and God leads him and God begins to speak through him. This hasn't happened in 400 years. John's never seen this happen before. John's never heard of anybody having that happen before. I mean, for 400 years anyway, it's just been completely blank. And now here comes John and he's preaching and not just preaching a message, he's preaching under the anointing of the Holy Spirit with words that are prophetic, that are coming forth and ministering to people and people are going, Wow, we've never heard anything like this. This is amazing. John, what a preacher this guy is. And he's preaching. And not is he just preaching, but multitudes of people are coming to learn from him. They're coming to hear from him. They're coming out to hear what John has to say. Yet, John still has questions. People were coming to John because he's the guy with all the answers. And how can the guy with all the answers still have questions? Does, does that seem strange to anybody? Well, wait a second. If he has questions, how could Jesus say he's the greatest that's ever been born of a woman? Because if he was what Jesus said... He wouldn't have questions. Right? No. No, even though he's the guy with all the answers and still has questions, he's just like, church, he's just like all of us. We all have questions. We all have these things that rise up as questions in our life. And you know what? We shouldn't be embarrassed of that. We shouldn't be ashamed of that. What we should do is we should accept that as a good thing. It's God leading us deeper into Him. Because it doesn't matter how long you walk with God. It doesn't matter how many how many. Christian books you've read. It does not matter how many scriptures you've memorized. It doesn't matter how many sermons you've downloaded on your phone. It doesn't matter how much truth you've embraced. You are still going to, from time to time, have questions. You're going to have those questions. And listen, that is not unbelief. Questions are not unbelief. This is a Pastor Markism. Questions are questions. I know, I know you came here for that. Somebody needs to write that down. Look, John has questions, but John's not rejecting Jesus. John just wants some clarification. He just wants to double check. And for some of us, church, that means that, you know what, there's going to be new questions that arise in your life when new circumstances rise up. When things happen in your life and you don't understand or you don't know what to do, there's going to be these questions that rise up. Life circumstances, life situations will bring us to places where we have questions that make us come to a decision. And what we need to do in those times is we need 
to learn. We need to seek the answers for those things. We need to, re listen, and I, and I want to be careful about this because there is so much junk out there today. You need to find the right book, a biblically based, biblically grounded, biblically founded book that will help you. First, I mean, open up your Bible. What does the Bible say about the situation, about the question, about the things that you're seeking answers to? Turn to, to people that will get, put you in the right place. Meet with people that might be able to answer those things. But you need to seek for truth. You need the truth. You need scriptures. You need to dig in. You need to find out what it says. You need to find out what Jesus is saying to you about the questions that you have. Because he's the answer man. He knows the answers, but you got to dig in and figure it out. No, I don't want to know what everyone in the world's saying about this. I want to know what Jesus is saying. Because if you notice, John was not, John was not willing to um, find out, hey, you know what? I'm just going to go by what my disciples say. And I'm not going to send for Jesus' disciples to come tell me what's going on. No, I want you two to go. And I want you to go hear exactly what Jesus says because only the words of Jesus are going to answer the questions that I have. Amen. And so that's what happened. But you got you to be willing to figure it out. Sometimes in our life, it means that we revisit things that we've just always held as a belief. Well, why do I believe that? Because we've always believed it. Sometimes it means we, we revisit things that are testing us in a moment. There's something that comes up and, and we have a question about something and, and we need to double check that. We need to confirm that. We want to find out what the truth is. There's a lot of us who don't want to find out the truth about some of the things that we've always believed because if we find out that what we've always believed isn't exactly what the truth means, that that's going to be a problem. And I would rather just not find out what the truth is because then I can be happy. We need to seek after what's truth and being sure that it's biblically founded because only when we build things on this biblical foundation will it stand as on a rock. Otherwise, we're building on shifting sand. In church, this is what John's doing. John is just seeking to find out the truth. He's got questions about Jesus. And we all do. We all have questions that will rise up. Come on, he's God. How would we not? You ever think why God created or has eternity being eternal? That's how long it's going to take to answer all the questions. <laughs> we all have questions. But what makes John great and, and, and again, I want you to hear this, please. What makes John great is that John pursues the answers to those questions. He pursues after those things. He isn't willing to just have doubts. He isn't willing to just have questions about Jesus. He was just as passionate about the questions that he had. He was just as passionate about finding the answers to those questions. And that's what he did. I just love this. I, I, I see in John, those questions, they don't, reveal, they don't reveal a place of doubt. I think they reveal a deep faith. 
I think it re, at this curiosity and trust. You know what? He had, and I'll, I'll share this with you in a minute, but you know, there was, he had a lot at stake. And he was trusting Jesus. And if all of this wasn't true, he was in a world of hurt. And he was not afraid to ask Jesus these difficult questions because he knew that Jesus could live up to the answers that he needed for those questions. He trusted Jesus in that. Think about that. He trusted him to bring back those answers that he needed. Listen, what are the questions that you have about Jesus? Sometimes we, we, as Christians, we want to hide them. We don't want anybody to think we have questions about Jesus because that's doubt and unbelief. How can I be saved if I have questions about Jesus? How can I get saved if I have questions about Jesus? Look, those questions are going to be, we're all going to have them. But let me ask you this. This is just as important. What are you doing to seek out the answers to those questions. What are you doing to find the answers? Hopefully, you're, hopefully, if you're not, you need to be reading your Bible. Reading your Bible, studying your Bible, loving your Bible, memorizing your Bible. Hiding that word in your heart. Look, again, another thing, you might want to write this down. If you don't hide God's word in your heart, it won't be in your heart. I know. <laughs> that's all I got. That, that's it. <laughs> you need to be reading the Bible. You need to be, again, you need to be in church. You need to be devoted to the, to the family of God. Because maybe today, you know what, you're not going to find that answer in this moment, but maybe you're going to help somebody else with the quest answers to the questions that they have. That's what the body of Christ does together. Read good books, not just any books, but good books. Download not just any sermon, but biblically-based sermon from people that you trust. Meet with people that you will trust to bring you answers not just tell you what you want to hear. Amen. Church, find trustworthy people who will give you biblical truth. And I want you to hear this, please. Seek out people that will give you biblical truth. Not people that will give you Facebook truth. Not people that will give you social media truth. Not people that will give you cultural relevance. In fact, don't seek out people that will rejoice that you found your truth. Listen, our heart is deceitfully wicked. Church, don't seek after your truth. Seek after the truth. 
Jesus is the truth. He is the way. He is the truth. And there is no other truth but him. Seek him out. Seek out people that will love you enough to give you biblical truth, not pat you on the back for you becoming culturally relevant, culturally awakened. Don't look for those things. Look for people that will give you what the Bible says because that's who love you. Find people who love you enough to tell you what the truth has to say, not people that will encourage you to become culturally relevant. You know what? When we're seeking truth, what you don't need is syncretism. You don't need a blending together of Christian values with cultural values. And that is what syncretism is. It was rebuked in the Bible over and over and over again. You don't need a cultural, you don't need a Christian uh, cultural invasion. Listen, when you begin to, to put Christianity, biblical Christianity, together with the culture, you end up with cultural Christianity, which is not Christianity at all. You can't do that. In fact, it's rebuked over and over and over again in the world. Don't fall for that, church. You need to pursue as you look for answers the kind of knowledge that will, leave you, that will lead you to being more rooted in Jesus, more rooted in Him as your Christ, because only the truth can set you free. Only the truth can set you free. Now, some of the commentaries have all sorts of things to say about John in this. They have all sorts of things to say about him in this. There, there's people, there's one commentary said that this is a place where he's demonstrating unfaithfulness or unbelief. Another place that said, you know, this is a place where he's, his faith is being shaken. I don't believe that at all. I don't believe that this is a statement where John is having any sort of doubt about his faith. Matthew talks about the story, and in the Gospel of Matthew, there's a little added bonus that comes that helps us to understand the story a little bit better. There's a reason that it says that John called his disciples, that his disciples came to him, told him what was going on, and then he sent the disciples to go find out what Jesus had to say. And the reason that he did that was because John himself couldn't go because John was in prison. John was in jail, and so John, he couldn't go. So he had to send them. But he was only interested to find out, what does Jesus say? It's important that we understand. And he's been in prison for a while. And you know why he was in prison? He was suffering for his devotion to Jesus. He was suffering because he wasn't willing to change his message. And I'm sure in prison, here he is. How many of you would like to be in jail, in prison, because of your devotion for Jesus? That's all the only reason that you're in jail. And you don't know that you're ever going to get out. You don't know that you're ever going to be paroled. John has an idea. I'm sure that he's going to be in jail for a long, long time. And that life can be very hard. You know what? That would be a difficult place. That would be a difficult place for any of us to be. Locked up in jail because of our devotion for Jesus? In fact, even his life was very likely, he didn't know this at the point, but we do, his life was going to be taken. So this is a very reasonable question that he sends his disciples to ask. And what is he, he, he basically, he's saying, hey, go ask my cousin Jesus. How many of you, that would be just enough that I had to worship my younger cousin? <laughs> How difficult would that have been? He grew up with him, he knew him, he, he did all these things about the guy. This is his cousin. That would be tough. 
But here Jesus, he's in jail. He's, he's, for worshiping, basically he's worshiping his cousin as God. And he is in prison for him. And he's ultimately going to die for him. So let's not say, oh, John, you of little faith. No. No, it's a big deal. It's a big deal that he's in the middle of. John worshiping his cousin as God, locked up in jail because of it, and now facing a likely death sentence. And what does he do? He's, okay, you know what? I want to send my disciples. I want to find out that... Because, again, for many reasons, one, and John had a lot of followers. You know what? I, I want to be sure about what's going on here. I want you guys, I want you to go ask Jesus if he's the one that we've been waiting for. I want you to go ask Jesus if he's the one that we're supposed to be standing for or is somebody else coming. Because if somebody else is coming, I want to take a little different direction so I can keep my head on my shoulders. But if Jesus tells you that he is the one, that he's the Messiah, then I'm happy to have whatever it is that happens, happen. Just go ask Jesus for me. Go ask him. I think that's reasonable. And I think that happens all the time. People say they believe. They believe in something. They believe in something there. They believe in, you know, people say that I believe in Jesus. But isn't it amazing how we can say we believe something and how different it feels when our faith is being tested. Oh, I believe this. But then because of that belief, life gets hard, life gets difficult, persecution comes, the enemy rises up, something becomes dangerous because of what we say. Then it's, it's a whole lot easier, man, in those questions to go, hmm, maybe I don't believe. No, maybe I wasn't right. And some people in those moments, there's two ways in which we'll deal with that. One, the people will simply let those questions go unanswered. And unanswered questions about Jesus in a matter of time will decay into full-blown doubt, unbelief, and a falling away. And some people with those questions will seek the truth. We'll dig in and find what does the Bible say about the situation? What does the Bible say about this? What does Jesus say? Some people are just gonna double check so they can clarify. I need the answer to the questions I have. Worship team, would you come on back up? I, uh, in, in Lake Havasu, I was a... a uh, hospital chaplain and used to get called to the hospital for all sorts of different things but one of the more you know bigger things that people would call you to the, a chaplain to the hospital for was um, when somebody was dying they you know it's amazing how when people are dying they they want somebody to come and to share some truth with them and um, I went into this one guy's room and he was a believer. He, he loved the Lord with all his heart. He'd been a believer for years and years. And, uh, and came in and, and he told me that he was a believer. He's like, man, praise God. And he says, you know what? But I'm, I'm, I'm dying. They've told me I've only got a short period here. And I'm, I mean, if the Lord doesn't bring healing, I'm probably never going to make it out of this bed again. 
And he said, I, I just, I just want to know, is Jesus really God? And did Jesus really die for our sins and go to the grave? And did Jesus really arise alive? Is it, is it true? And it's like, I mean, yes. So glad you asked. I believe it so much that, let me, let me just ask you to do me a favor. When you get there, say hi for me. Because Jesus Christ did die for you. He died for your sins. And Jesus Christ, in dying for your sins, made a way. As he went into the grave, as he arose from the grave, he brought life, to uh, he brought life out of death. And he will bring life to you out of death. And when you close your eyes on this side in this world, you're going to open them in glory. And you will be with him. And he's like, okay, I... I I just wanted to double check because I'm dying. You know what? That was not a statement of doubt or unbelief. That was just simply, I, I, this question came up and I need the answer. And that's what he did. And I think for all of us, church, it's a good idea. Questions will rise up, but we need to seek the answers to those questions. And that's what John did. That's what made one of the reasons that John was great. Jesus, are you the one that we've been waiting for since sin came into this world? Are you the one that we've been waiting for since death came into this world? Are you the one that we are waiting for? Are you the Messiah? I know all these things that happen, but I still have this question. Are you the Messiah? Are you the Christ? Are you the God-man? Are you the Redeemer? Are you the Deliverer? Are you the Healer? Are you who I think you are? Are you who I always believed you are? Are you the one that I'm in jail for right now? I believe it and I believe it unto death but Jesus I just want to make sure he was just confirming the truth and listen John wasn't just doing that for himself John had a whole bunch of followers a whole bunch of followers that were following John and Jesus knew, or John knew, that when he passed away, that those followers were going to go somewhere. And John, John was looking at his legacy, the legacy that God had given to him to impart into the people behind him. And he wanted to make sure, by answering these questions, he wanted to make sure that the people that were following him would go directly to Jesus' ministry. Look. Who's following you? Yeah, everybody has somebody following you. Whether it's at home with your kids, whether it's at work, grandkids, at school, in your neighborhood, somebody is following you. And when you're no longer there, will your life Will the questions and the answers that you seek, will that be a place where those following you will go on and follow Jesus after you're gone? You see, us doing the due diligence of finding out those answers has more to do than just our own selfish motives. 
It has to do with legacy. It has to do with following. It has to do with what God has called us to. So, so let me ask you, what questions do you have? And what do you need to do to find the answers to those questions? And will those following you be able to live in those answers? Will you bow your heads in prayer with me? Lord, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Lord, for the grace that you give us. Oh, God, it's not determined by us. It's determined by you. It's determined by what you say. It's determined by what you have applied into our lives and given us as a supplication to hold on to. God, thank you for the truth. Thank you, Jesus, that you are that truth. Thank you, Jesus. Listen, church, in this world today, all these other things that are vying for our time, nothing matters but Jesus. It's Jesus. Find the answers. God, maybe today you're here and while your head is bowed, let me just ask for a moment. Maybe you've been letting questions stop you from receiving Jesus as Lord and Savior. Maybe somewhere in you, you thought, you know what? I need to have all my questions answered before I can ever come to Christ, before I can give my heart to Jesus. i got to get rid of all these questions. No, you'll always have questions. But can you just say today, you know what? I believe that Jesus is God and He died for my sins that the grave could not hold him, that it's the only empty grave. And Jesus, come into my life that I might rise to be with you. Is that you today? I'd love to just pray for you. Just tell him right now. Jesus, come into my heart. I'm sick of the sin in my life. I'm sick of the way I'm living. I'm sick of the way that I'm hurting the people that you have given me to love. I'm sick of the guilt. I'm sick of the condemnation. I can't take it. And everything I've done to try to fix it has just made the matter worse. I can't do anything about it. And here I am. I'm supposed to have all the answers. And here I am, helpless. Jesus, his hand is extended to you right now saying, come to me. I know you're weary. I know you're heavy laden. I know you're burdened. I know you're overwhelmed. I know you're sick in your sin. I know that you can't change what's there. Come to me and let's do this together because I can. You pray that prayer. not about a, listen, it's not about a lifted hand, it's not about an altar, it's about a heart that's open in prayer to saying, God, I need you. I need you. And for some of you others, maybe you've kept God at arm's length because of those questions, and today you're just going to make a commitment. Say, Jesus, I am going to seek truth.
the truth. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I need you. Make that prayer between you and, and him. And we're here to pray for you. And if you need prayer this morning, I would love that opportunity. If you made that decision for Jesus, if you need him, some, just the, the questions that you have, there's some prayer for some of those places. The, the altar is open, but let's sing this song. I know the tension of the now. I don't always understand. I don't always get to see everything When I'm holding up my hands When I'm counting every breath Lord, all I need to know is You choose me You choose me
church, I love you. I pray God allow his face to shine upon you. And God would pour out his mercy and peace. That by grace we would receive all that God has. And now church is not over. Church is about to begin. So go be the church. Go be the redeemed. Go be the blood bought. Go be the church. Go be the light. Go be the salt. This world needs you. Go be the church. God bless you. We love you. Don't forget, find a, find a life group. Get plugged in. See you.